in our evangelism, you never know which link in the chain you're going to be. You may be the first person to ever broach the subject that there is a God with somebody and that that God is holy and that you are a sinful person who cannot have access to God outside of Jesus. And that message may get delivered through a lot of different sources. You never know if you're gonna be the first link or if you're gonna be the one who actually is present when they are converted to Christ. Here's the thing. You don't have to be every link in the chain. You just need to make sure you're not the missing link in the chain. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. Today, Pastor Trent continues with the biblical account of Philip, a bold evangelist who shared the gospel with an Ethiopian man. Our message is titled, Openings for the Gospel. Last week, we learned two steps a bold evangelist should take in sharing the good news of Christ. First, we are to walk through open doors. And second, we need to look for open hearts. So let's listen as Pastor Trent gives us four more steps that we can take in sharing the gospel with boldness. So let's open to Acts chapter 8 as we continue with the story of Philip and the Ethiopian. After 2,000 miles to try to connect with God, he begins to walk into the temple to worship and somebody tells him, you're not allowed in here. Now, we don't see that in the story, but we know it from the Old Testament because the Old Testament tells us that eunuchs were not allowed into the holy place. And so he's denied access. And so now he is on his way back home. Can you imagine how frustrated and disappointed and how rejected he must have felt? And so it was at that moment that God sends Philip into his path, and Philip finds an open heart. It even tells us that this Ethiopian had a Bible. Look at verse 28. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So somebody had pointed him to the place of worship. Somebody had told him about the true and the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Somebody had told him he could have access to God at the temple. And somebody had even given this guy the Bible. Philip, when he engages him, finds this guy is well on his way to believing the gospel. He just needs another faithful witness. Let me ask you this. How many people could you identify who played a role, humanly speaking, in you believing the gospel? Could you identify some people? You think my mom, my dad, grandma, grandpa, maybe had some aunts and uncles, maybe brothers, sisters, maybe even children. You could think of some pastors, maybe a youth pastor. You could think about maybe I heard Billy Graham on TV and I heard this guy on the radio one time and, and there was this church and there maybe two or three churches. And after all of those different people, I finally put my faith in Christ. Could you identify some people? Here's what surveys tell us. The average Christian can identify 16 different human agents that God used to deliver the gospel to them. So in our evangelism, here's what we need to realize. You never know which link in the chain you're going to be. You may be the first person to ever broach the subject that there is a God with somebody. 
and that that God is holy and that you are a sinful person who cannot have access to God outside of Jesus. And that message may get delivered through a lot of different sources. You never know if you're going to be the first link or if you're going to be the one who actually is present when they are converted to Christ. Here's the thing. You don't have to be every link in the chain. You just need to make sure you're not the missing link in the chain. Right? You never know when you're having a conversation with Jesus. Is this going to be the conversation that's going to, going to produce faith in their heart? Am I going to be the one that's going to be able to actually pray with them to receive Christ? You don't have to be every link. That removes a little pressure. All you need to do is look for open hearts. Around here, we say it this way. We are looking for red apples. We practice red apple evangelism. Do you know the difference between a red apple and a green apple? You have an apple tree, it produces apples. And if you love apples so much that you're a little impatient and you want to grab an apple and pull an apple off that tree and bite into that apple, you're going to be sadly disappointed because the apple's not going to be ripe. It's not ready to be picked. What we're doing is we are looking for red apples. We're looking for someone that God has cultivated a curiosity about worship. We're looking for people that are dissatisfied with what they've looked to to try to crave their appetite for purpose and meaning. We, we may be looking for people that are broken and hurting, somebody who's lost a loved one, someone who's uh, experienced a tragedy, somebody who's been diagnosed with a fatal disease, somebody that may just be having a loneliness in their soul and they're wondering, where am I going to find somebody to meet the deepest needs of my heart? We look for open hearts and you cannot force your way into a heart that God has not prepared. We practice red apple evangelism, okay? And here's what we like to say. If you can't pick the apple, don't bruise it for crying out loud. Don't beat somebody over the head with the Bible trying to ripen their apple, okay? God has thousands of ways to ripen an apple. By the way, you may be somebody that God is ripening your apple and, and, and it's like you've tried everything else and God now has brought you to the place where you are ready to receive and to believe the gospel. Then at the end of the service, then come forward and we might be able to be the final link in the chain of seeing you come to Christ. Here's the third thing that an evangelist does. He listens with open ears. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip... Now, that's interesting because where'd the angel go? All right, the angel's not there anymore, but now the Holy Spirit's still speaking. That's good news because the same Spirit that spoke to Philip is available to us today. He's speaking right now in this message. And the, Philip, and, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran. Don't you love that? I mean, bold, intentional. He's not slowly walking. He's not turning in the other direction. He's not waiting for you know, some type of strategic move. He runs to the guy in obedience to God, and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Notice he didn't interrupt. He just simply got close enough to listen to what this guy had been reading. Great point here. Um, if you want to be a good evangelist, you need to get close enough to find out what is filling the ears of people who have yet to hear the gospel. 
Fortunately, this guy had been reading the Bible. You talk about a red apple, okay? I mean, let's say that God puts on your heart to go present the gospel to somebody and you show up at work you know, on Monday mornings like, okay, Trent, I'm supposed to be an evangelist in the marketplace. And somebody walks up to you and says, hey, I was reading the Bible this weekend and um, I don't really understand what I was reading here. Could you come over and sit down and explain to me about this Jesus guy? You talk about a red apple, an open heart. That guy was ready. This was the easiest fruit that has ever been picked in the history of the world. It says, he, he ran to him and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? Notice the power of a question. A question is a diagnostic tool to find out if God is at work in this person's life. And so he asked him the question, and he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So what kinds of questions would we use to discern if God is at work in a person's life? You could ask all kinds of questions. You could just simply say, um, hey, how could I pray for you? And just listen. People might tell you some things that are going on in their lives and things that have been dissatisfying to them or hurtful things. Uh, you could ask the question, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And, and just listen. And when you ask that question, basically no matter what they say, it's going to fall into one of two buckets. Either somebody is going to say, I try really hard to obey God so he will accept me. Or people would say, because God has accepted me, I'm trying really hard to obey God. That's the difference between religion and the gospel. And if somebody gives you a religious answer, trying, I'm really working hard, I'm really trying to pray, I'm really trying to do better, I'm truly, really trying not to sin, you know this person needs to hear the gospel because God's never going to accept you based on your performance. He's only going to accept you based on the performance of Jesus Christ. And so we ask questions. Our job is not to bring people to Christ. Our job is to bring Christ to people. It is to guide them and answer their questions and overcome their objections of the gospel. So he guided him, and it's our job to guide them through relationship. Even this week, I mean, you can, you can ask all kinds of questions. Um, you know, especially on a plane, this is a good one. If you were to die, like right now, if the plane went down, where would you go? But that's a great question on a plane, right? And, and just listen. And, 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 and then here, here's a great question. After you ask all those questions, and just listen, ask this question. So if you were wrong, would you want to know? Now, somebody would have to be really arrogant to say no to that question. In almost every case, somebody's like, well, yeah, I'd want to know. All right, well, can I open my Bible and just kind of show you what God has to say about those questions? And that's the point at which you've listened, and now you can walk through the next door using open Bible. So this guy was reading in the book of Isaiah. We know he was reading chapter 53 because in verse 32 it tells us, now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. This guy said, I don't understand what's going on here. He's like a sheep, and there's a slaughter? Why would you slaughter a sheep? And what's the antecedent to the pronoun he? Who is he? Who is he? 
who was slaughtered like a sheep. And like a lamb before its shearers is silence. He opens not his mouth. Verse 33. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Why would, why would he be denied justice if he was so humble? And we all long for justice. We all get upset when we see things in the world that are not just. And when will justice be served? Underline that word justice. It's very important. For who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. His life was taken? Whose life was taken? Why was it taken? These were all the questions that this guy had. And so notice verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And so he asked him, Who is this guy? And why was he slaughtered? And it gave Philip an opportunity. Look at verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with Scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus Christ. He was reading in Isaiah. You know, this was chapter 53. If he actually had a copy of the entire book or maybe he had a little section, maybe it was chapters from 50 to 60. Do you know what one of the things he would have read? Remember this eunuch. He would have read this in Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 5. It says this, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. You know what, you know what God is saying through His Word here? There's hope even for a eunuch. You don't have to be hopeless. You don't have to describe yourself as a dry tree. Nothing ever good is going to come of my life. My life will never be productive. I'll bear no fruit. He says, you don't have to say that. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose the right things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. If that eunuch had been reading that, do you know what the hope was that was held out to him? You could have a father-son relationship with this God. The question was, how? And it gave Philip the opportunity to say, you know this sheep that was slaughtered? Let me, let me tell you what happened just a few years ago. God sent His Son as an innocent lamb, and God hung Him on a cross and slaughtered Him, and the blood flowed out. And he died as a substitute for your sin. Let me tell you about justice. God declared that innocent lamb guilty of your sin and treated him as if he had committed your sin so that he can treat you as if you were an innocent lamb. That's the gospel. And we learn that story. He learned that story in the Bible. So he used an open Bible. He opened his mouth. That's what an evangelist does. He does. He speaks with an open mouth. We read it there in verse 35. And so I would just say to you, do you know how to use your Bible to get the gospel in the ear of someone who needs to hear it? Are you bold enough to know how to use your Bible? Can I just very quickly help you with that? It, turn over in your Bible. Keep your finger there for a second. Turn over in your Bible to Romans chapter 3. Can you do that? And you will find there 
really the, one of the first places you need to open your Bible and talk to people about, about how to come into relationship with God. And it just declares in that verse that we're all separated from God. Romans 3.23, do you see it there? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All grandmothers have sinned. All Boy Scouts have sinned. All popes have sinned. All pastors have sinned. Everybody's sinned. And you can just look at them and say, you know what? Um, I bet in your most honest moment, you, you know that you've committed wrong against God, right? Have you sinned? As a matter of fact, I have. Now, this is what you need to do. Just beside that verse, take a pen and write Romans 6, 23. Just write that and then flip over there. And this is what you'll find when you get to Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. That sin, it's transgression against God, and it produces death. That doesn't mean you're just going to die physically. It means that you're going to be separated from God eternally. Death is not the cessation of life. Death is the separation of body and soul. And spiritual death is the separation of a human soul from God. So the question is, how do we get this human soul and this eternal God to be in right relationship? That's the second half of the verse. It's a free gift. It's a free gift in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, Jesus, who, what? Well, how does that, who's Jesus? Yeah, that's over in Romans 5. So just write Romans 5 beside Romans 6.23. Romans 5, 8, write that verse. And then you take somebody over there. So let me tell you about Jesus. This is what Jesus did. God, the Father, showed his love for us. And that while we were dirty, rotten sinners, that's my translation, while we, were, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Most important word in the Bible is the little three-letter word F-O-R. What Jesus did on that cross was for us in our place as a substitute for our sin. And then just write beside there, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And you can take somebody over to this place in your Bible. For by grace you have been saved. What? Saved from sin, saved from wrath, saved from eternal separation from God. And you're saved through faith. I just have to believe something? That's right. You have to believe the good news, the gospel, the evangel, the good news that our team wins. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift. You don't work for gift. It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's not about your performance. It's not about how religious you are. It's not about how good things that you do. None of your good things can erase the sinful things that you've done. It's all by faith. So what is faith? It's putting my trust, bearing my weight of my sin on Jesus Christ in the same way that right now you're exercising faith in the chair you're seated in, that it's not going to fall, it's bearing your weight, that's what we do when we trust Christ. We put all of our hope for eternal life in Jesus. He's bearing my weight. He's holding my up. I'm, I'm going to stop trusting myself. I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And then you take them to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, which simply tells us that a person in which God is activating, activating faith in will do these things. He will confess with his mouth that Jesus is the Lord, and he will believe in his heart 
that God has raised him from the dead. He's alive. And in believing that and in confessing that, it's the evidence that you have been, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. Do you see the word justified there? It's connected to the word justice, which means God declares you a guilty sinner as if you'd never sinned. It's a declaration by God that changes your legal status before him so that you can be in right relationship with him. With the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It's not the confession that saves you. It's not even the belief that saves you. It is the justification that saves you, that God changes your legal status as if you'd never sinned. That's how a person can come to faith in Christ. I would ask you, I told you this message was for Christians. That's the message we carry, but are you a Christian? Have you been justified? If not, you need to believe that message. And you need to be bold enough to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and be bold enough to confess that with your mouth. It's the evidence that you have been saved. And here's the last thing. As evangelists, we call for open identification. Look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said... See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Look at verse 37. How many, how many of you have a Bible? Somebody stole verse 37 out of your Bible. Are you looking at it? Wait a minute. I didn't get a complete Bible. There must have been a typo. Somebody left out verse 37. How many of your Bibles do have verse 37 in it? Okay. So let me tell you what's going on here. Okay. Um, when the English translators who did us a great favor in learning Greek and Hebrew, translating the original language into the English language, every now and then, very seldom, one-tenth of one percent of all the verses in the Bible, there is a dispute on whether or not some words were a part of the original manuscripts. The author of Acts is Luke. And so... Those who study these things, as they study the original manuscripts, some of the manuscripts include verse 37 and some of them don't. The older, more trusted manuscripts don't include verse 37. So the question is, well, who put verse 37 in there? Do you ever write in your Bible? Do you put notes in there? Got I hope you have a lot of my notes in there, right? So here's the thing. Some, remember, the Bible was written you know, before the printing press, People handwritten wrote the Bible. So if you are translating a manuscript and, and it's Luke's copy, a copy of Luke's word, and if you wanted to put a comment about Luke's words in there and you just kind of wrote that down and then you continued with Luke's words later, it would become very hard to discern, is this Luke's word or is this a commentary about Luke's words? And so some people would say verse 37 is probably an added commentary on Luke's words. So now you're really curious as to what verse 37 is, right? Now, if you have a modern translation, we, we like to read from the ESV, the English Standard Version around here. If you look down in your footnotes, they included verse 37 in the footnotes. Do you see what it says? It says this. It says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, you may be baptized. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So here's the thing. Should that be included or not? I don't know. 
But let me ask you this, is that biblical? Absolutely. Does that confirm all the other verses that we just read? Yeah, so whether or not that happened or not, we don't know, but we know that this guy believed in the gospel because he's asking now to be baptized. Look at verse 38. And he commented, I'm sorry, he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what's baptism all about? It's all about identifying with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And so Philip had unpacked for him. Jesus Christ was slaughtered like a lamb on that cross. He died on that cross. He was buried, and for three days we thought he was dead, but he came back to life. We've seen him. He's commissioned us to deliver this message to you. And, and, and those who are saved, who, those who believe this message, they identify with Christ publicly as a Christian through the picture of baptism, which pictures Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. All who believe and are converted are baptized. And so throughout the New Testament, they're baptizing people who have confessed faith in Christ boldly to come out publicly as a Christian. Last verse, look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, just a little side note here, what's the proper method for baptism? Why do you think these guys had to get down off the chariot, go down into the water, and then come back out of the water? Because baptism means immersion. It means to go all the way under and come up all the way out. So we see that pictured here in the scripture. And the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away because he had another assignment, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. What was the question that the eunuch asked? What prevents me from being baptized? The question is, do you believe? Are you, are you bold enough to go public with that? I would ask some of you this morning. What prevents you from being baptized? It's like, well, the water's cold and my makeup will run. And it's so embarrassing and I'm nervous. And what if I drown? Listen, what prevents you from being baptized? You know what the answer is? Some of you aren't bold enough to be baptized. And some of you need to be baptized. You have confessed Christ, you've believed in your heart, and it is time for you to go on record and run the Jesus flag to the top of the pole and be baptized as a way of identifying with the one who gave his life for you and you identify with his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. What's our job as Christians? It's to get the message of Jesus out into the community and trust God to work. Today, Pastor Trent has issued a challenge for believers to be bold evangelists, to look for openings for sharing the gospel, and to become part of what God is doing in a person's life to bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ. Well, I hope you'll take up this challenge and share the gospel with boldness. Next week, we'll continue the Be Bold series as Pastor Trent teaches what he calls one of the boldest messages he's ever preached. It's a message called Be Bold About the Origin of Man. 
In it, he'll answer the question, did God create man or did man create God? You'll want to tune in next week at this same time for the biblical answer to that question. We'd like to invite you to join us at one of our weekend worship services at Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Thanks for joining us today. And I pray that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.